Thanks for downloading this episode of Cork Talk with me, Tim Atkin. A weekly conversation with some of the most famous people in the world of wine. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Nomacork by Vinventions. Driven by a commitment to innovation, the new plant-based Nomacork Green Line offers significant improvements in wine closure performance. Thanks to a rigorous oxygen ingress rate, you can decide which cork is best for your wine, whether it's for young and fresh wines or for those with ageing potential. Born and brought up in Bordeaux's Entre-deux-Mer region, Maxence Delou got the travel bug after university, working in Chile and South Africa. But neither place compared with the challenges of his current job at Ao Yun in the remote high-altitude Chinese province of Yunnan. Listen to us chat about how a luxury goods firm ended up in such a special place, who planted the first vines and why, and the country's potential to produce world-class reds. Hello, Maxence, and welcome to the podcast. And your team. Fantastic to hear your voice. And uh, you're not in China, are you? Because we'd have, we probably wouldn't get as good a line. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was, uh, I just arrived one week ago. I was there uh, until last uh, Saturday. Uh, and uh, now I am in Entre-deux-Mer. Uh, Entre-deux-Mer, region of Bordeaux, which is where you were born, isn't it? Yes. So I would like to talk a little bit of this beautiful region first, if you don't mind. I'd lo- I think people want to hear about Entre-deux-Mer because people are often very rude about Entre-deux-Mer. It's not as famous as the right bank, not as famous as the Médoc. So tell us about Entre-deux-Mer. So Entre-deux-Mer is this region between the two rivers, uh, Garonne uh, and, and uh, Dordogne. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful place of Bordeaux because it's hilly, there is forest, uh, it's, uh, people compare it with Tuscany uh, in terms of, uh, of diversity and, uh, and topography. And then you've got, uh, you've got the best terroir of Bordeaux, this patch, okay? mm-hmm. but 20% of Entre-deux-Mer... Uh, have a greatest terroir of Bordeaux, limestone on clay and gravel. Okay. Mm. Uh, but for sure, uh, it is very difficult for the wine grower in Entre-de-Mer because they don't have the, they don't manage to sell the bottle at, uh, at the price higher than the cost. Mm. So now when I drive to, when I drive in Entre-de-Mer, uh, this year I could, uh, I never saw so much vineyard abandoned. Oh, terrible. Uh, you know, people say it's difficult in Bordeaux since 20 years or even more, but this year reached a summit where the, the, the wine grower, particularly in Entre-de-Mer, they don't have enough uh, money to, to pay for the vineyard management. Mm-hmm. They have the tank full of wine, and so they abandon, uh, they abandon some, some wine. But the origin, just to, to finish, why we call it Entre-de-Mer? Okay, mm-hmm. we call it Entre-de-Mer because it's between these two rivers, and uh, these two rivers are close to the sea. So, in fact, when the tide change, there is salty water mixing with... Uh, there is a water coming from the sea, okay? So, there is a mix between salt and... and, uh, and uh, Fresh water. And fresh yeah. water. Yeah. And uh, some particular moment of the year, when the tide is very big, you know, when you've got full moon or no moon... Mm. When the water level is very low, so usually it's in summer, and when you've got a lot of mud, mm. you've got this wave coming from the ocean, you know, until uh, until the end of Entre-de-Mer. So this wave is delimitating Entre-de-Mer. When there is no more wave, you know, when you are too much inland, 
is not anymore entre deux mers. Mm. And after uh, this podcast, I will, I will serve the way with my friend. <laughs> I think that's very good because you weren't born into a chateau, right? But you, you know, you, you, you loved wine when you were growing up and you did a degree, I think, at Bordeaux University, didn't you? When did you decide you wanted to be a winemaker? Yeah, so my family have no link with uh, my family likes the wine, but have no uh, no winery or anything. My mother uh, love gardening. My my great father was was agricultor, uh, so I have this relation with the plant thanks to them. Mm. I tried to do pharmacy because I wanted to travel. I didn't want to do pharmacy to have a pharmacy. I wanted to travel and to 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 work on the plant and to. I was a little bit. Uh, non-realistic, but I think I could travel and, and find some active component. Then I did not pass the exam at the end of the first year of pharmacy. And so then I, I tried to analyze what I like to do, what I like. I like the plant. I like the chemistry. I like to travel. I am from Bordeaux. I say, yes, I'm going to do, I'm going to try wine. <laughs> and, and after you finished your degree, you did travel, right? Because you went to Chile and I think it's South Africa, really. J just tell us where you worked and what you learned from those experiences. Yeah, I wanted to do uh, long enough experience. So I did two years in South Africa and two years in Chile. In South Africa, I was working at the beginning in a wine laboratory. So it was interesting because I can meet a lot of people and taste a lot of samples. Uh, and then I work uh, for the winery owned by Michel Roland. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a joint venture. This is Bonne Nouvelle, yeah? Yes, Remove yeah. to Estate, and, and yeah. the name of the top label is Bonne yeah. Nouvelle. Mm -hmm. So I, I did this for two years, and after I go back to France, I work a little bit in Burgundy and in Alsacia, and, uh, and then I go to Chile, where I stay two years, so Chile, Valle de Aconcagua, north of Santiago, Uh, in a in a family uh, winery uh, owned by uh, by uh, Vicente, as the name of the family, and and uh, I met my wife there, so it was a very good. Uh, <laughs> so is your wife Chilean? Yeah, my wife is from Chile, from yeah. Los Andes. You know this yeah. winery, Viña San Esteban, is uh, yeah. is close to the Rio Aconcagua. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's on the way to go to Argentina, actually. Mm. So I met my wife there and, and I have a, I have a great time, uh, in, in Chile. So you've, you've always been a traveler in a sense, because we'll talk about that when we get onto you, your decision to go to China. But I think it's interesting that for a Bordelais, even one from the Entre deux Mer, you worked in Alsace and you also, as you say, worked in Burgundy. I mean, Burgundy and Bordeaux are, gr are great rivals, aren't they? I mean, what was it like? How did they receive you in Burgundy as yeah. this Bordelais, young Bordelais coming there? Yes, I remember my professor, Denis Dubourdieu, you know, very yeah. famous I professor do, yeah. and consultant and wine brewer also. So you have the three hats. He, he was, uh, he was, uh, it was, uh, he was telling us that in Burgundy, they were not so accurate, not so scientific. And so then I've been formatted by him a little bit and he, a lot of good format. Huh? Uh, but, but when I go to Burgundy, they did the opposite. So I tell you, uh, oh, I tell you a story. So they, they wanted to have the longest fermentation possible. Professor Dubaudieu, he wanted to have the fermentation clean, you know, uh, with a good finish. And, and they wanted to have the longest possible. So they were doing a chaptalization, you know. So it was at yeah. this time where they, they, they need to put a little bit of sugar. Add, adding sugar to increase alcohol. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So they had sugar in the barrel and normally in Bordeaux, we, after doing this, we mix it to be sure the sugar dissolve, you know, for the yeast to be able to eat. So in Burgundy, where I was going, uh, and the guy was great, it was the domain Caillot, uh, in Meursault. Uh, they were putting the sugar, then the sugar go down at the bottom of the barrel and then they were not, uh, they, they were not mixing it to have the fermentation longer. You know, they were, They were at a stage where they wanted uh, challenge and longer fermentation. So, bon, well, coming from the university, I uh, was a little bit uh, short, well, short <laughs> but I learned that uh, there is different way to do. Yeah. Uh, well, and after, main difference with Bordeaux is more uh, artisanal and you work a lot more. Hein? The first three days, I work 16 hours per day. After three days, I was already dead. <laughs> you were dead. And you survived these 16-hour days. You went back to Bordeaux and you went to Chateau Quineloncle in Saint-Emilion where you were working with Alain Reynaud, uh, great Alain Reynaud. That was quite an important time in your life, wasn't it, really? I mean, because the quality of that place was improving very quickly. Yeah, it, it was a great family, very generous, you know. So they, uh, you, you feel like you are in a family when you arrive there. The, and, uh, and Professor, you know, Reno is very, um, very open mind, mm. uh, very open mind for, for Bordelais. Mm. So then we try a lot of things together and it was very interesting. Mm. And, and then in 2008, LVMH or Cheval Blanc um, took over uh, this amazing property and they were running the vineyards. And was that you decided then to go back and study more, didn't you, about agriculture? Was that because you were working with the team from Cheval Blanc? Yeah, I understood a few years before that I was missing this diploma of engineer agronomist, you know, mm. uh, in order to have a better position. Uh, then I, I saw some of my friends uh, inspire me, you know, come back to study, uh, particularly one friend of mine that did the Columbia University at uh, two years before. Mm. So it was also inspiring. And then when Cheval Blanc uh, purchased Chateau Quino, I knew that I will not have opportunity to to uh, to move up. But it was good for me to stay with them a few years, you know, but I wanted to keep busy during a few years, not doing the same things as I was doing. So I took this opportunity to study uh, engineer agronomist uh, one week uh, per month uh, during during three years. And they gave me this opportunity. Uh, Pierre-Olivier Cloué was my manager. Uh, well, and it permitted me to learn at school. I was going there for a diploma. In fact, I get some skills also. I was surprised. Uh, I learned some skills. Uh, and in parallel, I, I learned a little bit more about uh, finesse, elegance uh, in the wine, you know, with Chateau Cheval Mantin. So, yeah, it's an amazing team, isn't it, with Pierre Lurton and, as you said, with Pierre-Olivier, they're great. So you worked there for a while, and then 2013, you moved to China, right, with, with, with your family to Yunnan province. How did you hear about that job? I heard about that job when I was doing some uh, maturity sample before the harvest. I think it was uh, before the harvest 2011, you know, because, in fact, Pierre-Olivier Clou, he'd been there with, uh, with Pierre Lurton. Uh, one or two years before we start the project to uh, to confirm it was a good place, you know, and uh, and they were sharing their experience about this journey before it was an even longer journey to go there. So then I said, oh, yeah, it could be interesting. My wife is uh, is more brave than me. She wanted to travel, you know. Uh, we have two young kids uh, with a perfect age, three and four years old. Mm. So then we've been there in November 2012 to, to, 
to look at the place with my wife. They invite us with my wife and, uh, and actually I say she's more brave than me because me, when I arrived there, I was sick. You know, you've got, it's 3,200 meters. So you arrive, uh, in Shangri-La, it's 3,200 meters. Uh, so you feel the altitude and the first experience was a little bit challenging there. I mean, and, and it's pretty remote, isn't it? I mean, you know, for people listening to the, to the, to the podcast, just, just tell us where the state is exactly, because it's in Yunnan province. Just tell us where that is in China and maybe what the, the major climatic influences are there, apart from altitude, as you say. I mean, it's high, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's south of China in the province of Yunnan. Uh, the province of Yunnan is uh, possibly half of the size of France or one third. I'm not sure exactly, but it's big. Mm-hmm. And in this province, we are in the north of the province at the border with Tibetan province. Mm-hmm. Okay. So south of China, but uh, north of Yunnan at the border with Tibetan province. And, and the local people there, they are already from Tibetan uh, minority, Tibetan, uh, Tibetan culture. Uh, but then when you go there, you land in Shangri-La, uh, and then you need to drive, uh, so Shangri-La is already very, very far away. And then you need to, so 3,300 meters. Then you need to drive four hours now, which is much better. And you reach a place which is in the middle of the three parallel river area. Hmm. Okay. So in fact, these three very big rivers are separated by very high mountain until 7,000 meters. They are north to south. Uh, this is why they are protected because they are very rich and very diverse because this exposure, this, this topography means that uh, with cooling climate or, or warming climate, the, the species, uh, plant and animals, they could move north or south. They could adapt. And this is why there is so much diversity there. But what is interesting for us is this very high mountain are stopping the rain. Usually in this place, there is too much rain. Okay, yeah. the south part of China yeah. in summer is monsoon. So you mm-hmm. cannot go the, you cannot do Grand Cru. Mm-hmm. But because of this very high mountain on, on uh, west and east, they stop the monsoon from the east and from the west. Okay. Mm-hmm. We call it rain shadow. This is what, uh, Tony Jordan, uh, was calling rain shadow. Uh, and, and, and so you're in the Himalayas. You're in the foothills of the Himalayas, really. Yeah. We, so the village where we are, they are on both bank of the Mekong River. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is the river of the middle. Above us, we've got this 7,000 sacred mountain, uh, maybe mountains, no mountain. Okay. And we've got the four banyard in four villages between 2,100 to 2,600 meters. Yeah. So they're not the highest vineyards in the world, but they're very high. I mean, they're higher, obviously, than anything in Europe, much higher, twice as high as anything in Europe. But the only vineyards that would be higher would be in South America, in Argentina, really, and maybe Chile. Yeah, in, 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 the yeah in Salta, I think they've yeah. got a uh, higher uh, vineyard. Yeah. Um, Jujuy, and maybe bits of the Andes. I don't know, they're probably about the same as as, as some of the vineyards that are in, in Chile, in, yeah. in El Cojuas, really. I heard in Salta, they yeah, have 3,000 meters. Yeah. I, uh, well, uh, but our particularity uh, is uh, that uh, it's not flat around, so... In, in the Andes, they've got the vineyard, but mm. there's a lot of space around. In our place, mm. it's very steep. Mm. So you've got, uh, the vineyard at 2600 and you've got 4000 meter mountain above, very steep that is creating some shade. Okay. Right. So you've got the shade of this mountain yeah. in the morning, shade in the afternoon, meaning that you've got 30% less sunshine hour. So this is unique in the world of wine. Yeah. And the second thing that is unique is the, 
I think we have the highest uh, winery at 2,600 meters, uh, you know, to do the wine. And, I mean, what about the soil types? So was there anything you were familiar with from Bordeaux? You said, is there limestone there, for example? Yes, there is limestone, but it's not a big piece of limestone. It's a limestone deposit. So it's a liquid limestone that, uh, that deposits on all the stone. Like, like calcium carbonate, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that have uh, that deposit uh, through the year on the we have got sheets we've got slate we've got granite okay uh, but mainly our soil coming from uh, mountain collapsing okay mm. which is the opposite as in bordeaux in bordeaux is the river deposit okay river deposits they are much more homogen mm. uh, mountain collapse there is much more diversity are those colluvial i don't know i'm not a geologist yeah, but, co- yeah. Uh, colluvium Colluvium yeah. is mountain uh, collapse. Deposits, yeah. Voilà. And alluvium is river deposit. So mountain yeah. collapsing, uh, creating our soil, meaning that we've got much more diversity. Uh, and it's uh, it's fantastic for the wine, but it's also very challenging to manage. Yeah. I mean, the most famous vineyards in, in China are in Shandong and, and, and probably Ningxia, yeah? But they're very different from where you are, aren't they? I mean, they both have significant disadvantages that, that you don't have. Just tell us a little bit about why you're different. I mean, tell us what those two regions have that you don't. Yeah, alors, uh, Shandong, they've got a lot of rain in summer that we don't like, you know, so it's not possible to be organic there. Mm. Uh, and also you need to choose some, uh, some soil with uh, no clay. Mm. So, uh, well, you lose, uh, you lose texture and, and depth. Then Ninsha, um, Ninsha, they need to bury the vine. It's so cold in winter, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So us, we don't need to bury the vine, but us, again, what is, what is unique is this uh, mountain shade, mm-hmm. uh, the UV light that is stronger. You know, the higher you go in the altitude, the stronger the UV light. So the stronger the UV light, the thicker the skin. And the more color you have, and the more color you have, the softer the texture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the professor de Bordeaux was saying that the great vintage in Bordeaux, at the end of fermentation, you've got 1.2 gram of anthocyanin per liter of wine. So anthocyanin is a pigment. Mm, the uh, coloring matter. Yeah. In our place, yeah. uh, every year, every block, we are above uh, 1.2. Uh, and this, do what in the wine? The more you have color. So for the same quality of tannin and same quantity of tannin, mm. if you have more anthocyanin, it will create a texture softer because it will make smaller chain mm. and so uh, more harmonious sensation in your mouth. Uh, voilà, so this is uh, specific for, for my place. And then what is specific also is the diversity. Of soils and slopes. Yeah. Diversity. It means yeah. that we've got 300 blocks. Mm. Uh, e- even if the blocks are smaller than 700 square meters average, there is so much variation within the same block. That we need to subdivide this block in 700 uh, subblocks, but this diversity is unique in the world, not even unique in China. I think. And, and just tell us how altitude affects the vineyards. I know how it affected you. You said you had altitude sickness. Do, do, how, how do the vineyards react when they're so high up? Uh, so, again, there is not only the altitude, there is the shade of the mountain, okay? Mm. But um, uh, if we remove this parameter, uh, the UV light, UV light is stronger at this altitude, okay? Mm. Uh, so and what about the oxygen? There's less oxygen, right? Yeah, alors, yeah, but if we look at the vine first, mm. uh, yeah, UV light stronger, thicker skin, as we were saying, 
um, and and, uh, and then also the air is drier. The mm. higher you go, the less molecule you have in the air, mm. and the more the air is drier. So it means that, uh, and you have the example after rain where we are, after two hours you walk in the grass and the grass is dry. In wow. Bordeaux you've got rain. In August or September, sometime uh, you work in the grass, you will have your foot uh, wet for two days, you know. And this helps us to be organic also, you know. It helps us to have less mushroom growing. Mm. But also it helps us at the end of the season of concentrating the freshness uh, that we have. In our, in our... Mm. And, and when you blend, you always blend, you blend at sea level, don't you, in Hong Kong? You don't, you don't blend at altitude, is that right? Yeah. So this... This we learn with time. Uh, so at the beginning, I was testing the wine differently from, from uh, Adong to San meter. And when I was going uh, to sell the wine or helping to sell the wine, and I saw that this was because of my mood and my mood. And then I saw some research from airline company that uh, mentioned this. So it's uh, nobody understand fully, but what is clear is there is two parameters. First of all, the wine is not going to your nose and to your mouth the same way, you know, because atmospheric pressure is lower, less oxygen, air is drier. So the wine itself presents to your nose and to your mouth differently. Okay. And the conclusion, my, my conclusion to make it easy, you've got more freshness at 2600 meters in terms of aroma. You've got less complexity. Okay. Uh, and more freshness. And at the sea level, you sorry, it's the opposite. At the sea level, you've got more freshness mm. and more complexity. At altitude, you've got more fruitiness, but less complexity in terms of aroma. Mm. Okay. Then the second parameter is uh, your sense are different. Your brain mm. is working at 70%. So people... Because of lack of oxygen, yeah? You've got, you've got 25% less oxygen. Mm. Uh, for me, uh, I, I think that uh, I'm sure that your brain is not working uh, as mm. as full as mm. at the sea level. Then your nose, your nose is drier. Okay, so it's also less sensitive, and, mm. and you're going to saturate more. And the worst is the mouth. The mouth is is saturated much faster. Mm. You get dry much faster. Mm. You have less saliva, mm. and so you saturate faster. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, just tell us when the first vines were planted there, because, I mean, presumably historically there were no grapes. What were they growing? Barley? What sort of things were they growing locally? Yeah, exactly. Uh, barley and corn, but uh, we have, you know, we are in a place very remote. So the farmers, they have no other choice than to be autonome. Mm. Okay, so they live uh, like 200 years ago in Europe. Uh, they've got animals feeding the plant and plant feeding the animal. Uh, and the farmer is fed by everything and managing this virtuous circle. So they even have bee to have honey, you know. Uh, <laughs> they have their own honey from the hives. Wow. Yeah, yeah. they have their own honey. Uh, they have uh, chicken, egg. Uh, they have a yak with uh, milk and, and, the, and, and they have pig and they, they dry the arm. So they, they are very, uh, very autonome, but they were doing corn and barley for the main culture. And then in 2000, the local government tried to limit rural exodus. So he tried to increase the, the revenues, income of the farmer, and then he pushed them to plant Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc, uh, around 300 hectares in this valley. You know, and they... And it's also coming from... This idea also comes from the missionary 
end of uh, 19th century, they, they bring some vine, they bring some church not far away, mm. and, and, and then uh, and they did some uh, mess wine. Okay, but it was end of ah, so there were some vineyards there a long time ago. Yeah, it was it was uh, hybrid. You know, after the phylloxera, ah, okay. they try yeah. hybridation. Mm. So it, there, there is still some vine of more than hundred years old now that are still living, but quality of the grape is not so good. They're, they're, they're terrible. Voilà. <laughs> but then the government in two thousand uh, did a campaign to plant three hundred hectares. You know, and before they, they, were, they, uh, yeah, well, they were yeah, they were like uh, one hectare total around five or ten church. And yeah. after 2000, they plant 300 hectares of Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, without woodstock, okay, yeah. uh, and very well planted by the farmers that are mm. very good farmers mm. uh, at 6,000 plants per hectare on these small uh, terraces that you can see. And, and, you, and you planted more, didn't you, in the LVMH in 2013 when you arrived? Yeah. But just tell us a little bit, I mean, you mentioned him, Dr. Tony Jordan, the late Tony Jordan, who was great friend of mine, a, a lovely man, and one of the great names of the Australian wine industry. He was involved, wasn't he? Didn't LVMH said to him, go and find somewhere yeah. to, to, ma to make a world-class wine? That was the idea, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he was more than involved. He finds a place. Hmm. So uh, the, 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 the dream was to create a Grand Cru in China. And, and we asked him, uh, we asked him uh, is there a place capable to create this dream? So Tony started in 2008 his journey and he go all over China during four years. You know, and we have the chance of Tony do this because Tony, uh, first of all, is a, is an elegant wine ambassador in Australia since 30 years. I mean, he was unfortunately mm. since a long time before everybody, you know, and he loved uh, fine wine. So, and it was for us, uh, uh, I mean, if, if Tony was, was liking a very powerful wine, he will not have the same terroir. Would today. have been a disaster, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, so we have the chance to have someone love fine wine and search for a terroir to make fine wine. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh, then Tony is a no compromise guy. So if he if he didn't if he, if he wouldn't have fine, he would have said no. Mm. You know. Uh, mm. Well, and I have a beautiful message from Tony that I share uh, sometime, uh, saying uh, at the end of his study, uh, the wine uh, would ha will have a specificity of this high altitude vineyard of Shangri-La. Uh, they will have the finest of Bordeaux, but they will be completely different because yeah. all of this unique parameter. Mm. And he was right. And yeah. he was very right. He was right. Yeah. Uh, so we should we should we should think of him while we're doing the podcast because he he was a remarkable man, really. D just tell us which grape varieties you grow because you've mentioned that Cabernet was grown, a bit of Cabernet Franc. What else have you got in the vineyards? You've even got a bit of Chardonnay, haven't you? I think somewhere. Yeah, so we have half of the vineyard planted by the villager before we arrive. Okay, so half of the 33 hectares. Now we have got 33 hectares. Half we planted in 2013, uh, 14, 15. And then a tiny bit we planted the last two years, 2021 and 2022. So the plant planted by the villager is mainly Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. We've got a mix in, within the same block. We've got a field blend without rootstock, 6,000 plants per hectare. Us, we did a climate study and soil study, and uh, we planted the, the leftover uh, with rootstock in case the phylloxera arrive. Uh, would have been stupid to plant uh, without rootstock for the rest. Uh, and we planted more Cabernet, Sauvignon, Franc, but also uh, Petit Verdot, Merlot, and Syrah. Mm. Okay, and Chardonnay. Yes. And, Ch and Chardonnay was there already. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. We, have, uh, we have like... Uh, 
a quarter hectare of Chardonnay. So mm. we do uh, one to one thousand bottle or to two thousand bottle every year of Chardonnay in Adam, uh, in the village in Adam village. And anything else you're studying? Have you planted any other grapes just to see how they do? But I wanted to. Uh, I have difficulty to focus. Uh, so I wanted to plant some Pinot Noir, but but my manager at this time uh, tell me no. <laughs> and I think I think he was right. We have got so many things to experiment already yeah. with uh, with uh, with this terroir, with this yeah. climate, with this farmer. Uh, and you know, the wine is uh, is not like in a kitchen. You got one time per year, mm. each year different, each day are different. So uh, this is why it took uh, centuries for the wine brewer to understand their terroir. So mm. we are basically experimenting every day already. <laughs> uh, it's, t- it's difficult enough. I mean, it's interesting that the Aoyun, the wine that you make from there, uses fruit from four different villages. And I hope my uh, uh, my Chinese, my Mandarin pronunciation is good here, but it's Sidang, Sinong, Shaori, and Adong, which is where the winery is located. Just briefly tell us the difference between them, because we're going up in altitude, aren't we, with each of those from Sidang to Adong. Yeah? What's the difference in terms of them? And are they very different in terms of aspect and soil type yeah so they've got different exposure first of all they're on both bank of the mekong uh, and the mekong is not straight huh? it's like this so different altitude uh Shidang is a lower in altitude to 100 meters is more uh, this is the only village where we've got a little bit of river deposit uh, for the soil you know we've got half of the village uh, which is a river deposit uh, in Shidang, and there is less clay in Shidang and more sand and a lot of gravel. Okay, mm. main, the main stone is gravel. Mm. So here we will harvest usually mid of September to end of September. Mm. Okay, the Cabernet Sauvignon. If I take in consideration Cabernet Sauvignon, mid to end of September, uh, and uh, it give uh, we have diff- we have sandy soil with less gravel, or we have a lot of soil with a lot of gravel. So sandy soil. He makes some harmonious wine. Uh, if we have the good quantity of water, it can go into the, the Aoyun sometimes. And the gravel soil, uh, it's make very structured, very powerful wine. There is a little bit of clay on the top. Um, well, and a lot of ripeness, uh, still with freshness, you know, we've got very high acidity, but it will be the, the ripest aroma we, we get. Okay. Mm. It's going to be more black fruit. Mm. Then we've got Sinon on the same bank. 2,300 meters, a little bit higher. Here we've got a little bit more clay, okay, a little bit higher, so a little bit cooler. Uh, and here we've got a lot of uh, lot of schist uh, with different type of soil also, but basically it will make wine more powerful uh, with more uh, with more flesh also, more more structure and, and more flesh than the average of Shidan. And then we go. Higher, surely, uh, 2,500 meters, but it's west exposure, so it's compensating a little bit by, by the exposure, but it's, it's later harvest, so Sinong is one week to two weeks after Shidang. Shiori is gonna be two weeks after Sinong, okay, for the same cultivar, Camenet Sauvignon. Uh, so here is, Shiori usually make more harmonious wine because we've got even more clay than Sinong. Here we've got limestone also, so sometimes you've got this uh, this uh, beautiful uh, minerality uh, that we have also a little bit in Sinang, uh, because there is a little bit of limestone in Sinang also. Uh, but globally, 
Surely is a little bit more harmonious by himself. Mm. Then you've got Adam, the highest in altitude, with more clay again. So the more we go in altitude, the more the air is cool, but the more the soil is cool. Mm. Okay? Uh, because there is less tone and there is more clay. This means that instead of having one month of difference between the, the harvest date between Shidong and Adong, if it was only because of climate of the air, we've got two months. Because it's a two-month harvest. Yeah, for the Cabernet Sauvignon mature, yeah. only yeah. for the Cabernet Sauvignon planted by the villager without rootstock, there is two months of difference between the first one we harvest in Shidong and the last one in Adong. It is because the climate of the air is exacerbated by the climate of the soil. Okay, the soil is also cooler in Adong because more clay, less stone, and the soil is the warmest in Shidong because more more sand, less clay, and more stone. So, in fact, Tony did a fantastic climatology study uh, uh, in in terms of study. Uh, Enfin, climate of the air, but also the climate of the soil uh, was completely, uh, completely, um, it was going in the same uh, direction, meaning that you've got more diversity. How, how interesting, isn't it? Tell us a little bit about the 2019 release. I mean, lots of people who are, know much more about Chinese wine than I do think it's the best wine you've made, and also saying it's one of the greatest wines ever made in China. We've heard what's special about the place. Did you change anything in the way you make the wine? I know you didn't put any Merlot into this vintage. There's a little bit of Syrah, I don't know if that was in it before. What, what else changed between your first vintage in 2013 and now in 2019? What have you learned? Well, we learned a lot about, uh, about the farmer we work with, about the climate, about everything. So basically, we... We have a better grape, but also more concentrated. So uh, then in the cellar, we have to be uh, much more uh, gentle mm. uh, in order to reach the style of wine we want. Um, 2019 was one of the longest harvests. You know, I look at the number here. It's 9 September to 21st of November. Okay, 72 wow. days. To give you an idea about the vintage variation, 2015, it was 32 days. It was one of the shortest harvests, 17 of October to 19 of October, 17 of September to 19 of October. 2016, 50 is more average. It's 54 days, mid of September to beginning of uh, November. And then 2019, because we have a warm and dry spring, we have very small bunch, small berries. So it was a very small crop, 800 grams per plant. We talk. Uh, we talk about yield per plant. Uh, because what would have, that be hectoliters per hectare? 16, something yeah. like that? Yeah. So it's, okay. it's 16. It's tiny. Yeah, it's really tiny. Yeah, yeah. very tiny. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, the tiniest harvest was in 2014, 700, 700 grams per plant. Mm. And 2015 was the most generous at 1.4 kilogram per plant. Mm. And you were also in your own winery, weren't you? You now got this gravity-fed winery uh, 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 in Adong, yeah? Yeah. So then, in terms of winemaking, we will we work a lot to to refine the extraction. Basically, we've got possibly one of the most uh, powerful grape and, and concentrated grape in the world because of this climate that we saw mm. before. Mm. So for sure, we have to use gravity. Mm. Then we try to use a full tank. You know, we don't want to have too much surface of contact between the skin mm. and the juice. Uh, and finally, we play a lot on the crushing. So we, we actually, we are very, very accurate in terms of crushing. We want to, uh, we don't want the seeds go out. Uh, okay. We want just the, to, to crack a little bit the berry for the juice to go out and then yeah. 
during the maceration, the, the, the berry will shrivel, keeping mm. encapsulate the seeds. Yeah. And like this, the seeds will stay in the, in the cap, will not mm. go down, and we will control the extraction of the tannin. Interesting. Just tell me quickly, I mean, how, how seriously do you think we should take China as a producer of, of fine wines? I mean, it's very different from Bordeaux, but, you know, in blind tastings, do you think you could, you could say, hey, this is every bit as good? I mean, I know it's happened already, hasn't it? Do you think that there are other wines in China that are going to join you up at the top level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our blind tasting, indeed, uh, this is, blind tasting is a school of humility, you know, mm. and we need humility. We need to keep humility, but we need a little bit of... Uh, we need a little bit of confidence also, so it's good also uh, for us to do blind tasting, to get this confidence. So the, the beautiful blind tasting events happen in July 2020, I think in Hong Kong, I call it the Judgment of the Hong Kong. The Judgment of Hong Kong, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's organized by Adam Janikowski, which is a wine lover, invited uh, his friends, so they were 14. He invited James Suckling, but it was not organized by James Suckling, he was inviting mm -hmm. as a guest. And then uh, it was a it was a fight between one wine from Bordeaux, one wine from China. Our Yun has been uh, has been tasted against Lafitte, so in 2015, Lafitte 2015, and eleven persons uh, prefer our Yun. Bon. So again, out of fourteen, out of fourteen, yeah, out of fourteen. Well, that's pretty so good. Again, it's a school of humility, <laughs> but for us, it's important because yeah. uh, people don't trust in us. Uh, yeah. They think that we are we are cool. Okay. Yeah, just, just tell us how, how how much time you spend in in China. So I I, uh, I am now in France since one year. So I am organizing uh, the team and, and my, my work. So uh, the objective is to go there three months, three months, uh, three months per year. Yeah, and and I mean, have you learned the language? Have you learned? Is it Mandarin or you, do they speak Tibetan? I don't know. Is there such a thing? Yeah, alors, uh, yeah the farmers and some don't even speak Chinese. Mm. Uh, but uh, so we have uh, we have chi uh, villagers that are local mm. guys that are speaking mm. that are speaking local language, so it's Tibetan mm. and Chinese. And we've got mm. a young vineyard manager uh, that are speaking. Uh, Chinese and also English and me, I'm speaking French, English, Spanish, but I'm, I'm a little bit bad in Chinese. So I'm, I'm working on it. And have you embraced the culture? I mean, it, you know, I just wonder, wonder, um, what advice you'd give to somebody who's going to China, maybe to live or to do what you're doing working. And how do you get to understand China? It's such a big place. I know it's a difficult question, but you know, what tips would you give people? What, what advice? Well, you're right. It's better to learn the language, uh, for sure. So I'm not a good example and to go there. But what I would like to say is, uh, it's Chinese people are fantastic. You know, they are very complementary from Western culture. And what I like is they are not afraid about, uh, about moving mountain and they are working, are trying so hard that they move mountains. So uh, what we say about American, like you can do it, just do it. Uh, I, I feel this even stronger uh, in China and it's a pleasure to work with, uh, with yeah. Chinese because of this. What a fantastic story. I must say, I've seen pictures of the place. It looks unbelievable. Well, I've been to the Andes a lot of times in Argentina and Chile, but this looks every bit as spectacular as some of the greatest vineyards of the Andes. So I hope one day to go there and see it. I mean, I really enjoyed the wines. Um, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's a fascinating project. And I think that what you've achieved there in such a short space of time, first vintage 2013, and we're now in 2019, is really remarkable. So, uh, Maxence, thank you so much for spending time. Jackie was on the call. Because of the Chinese, you know, 
can go so fast because of the Chinese, the Chinese mentality. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for your hospitality uh, team and we, you are welcome to visit us. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Well, that's quite a story, isn't it? And the latest release really is impressive. Next week on Cork Talk, my guest is Steve Weber from De Bortoli in Australia. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Cork Talk. If you want to read more reports, articles and tasting notes by me, go to my website, timatkin.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tim Atkin and on Instagram at Tim Atkin MW. See you next week.